0: Ding dong, the witch is dead. The wicked witch is dead. Which is a nice lead into into talking about movies and movie characters.
1: I like all the little songs that you have <laughs> for killing time. People have this. It's you know they they study it in speech, where people will say um or ah. Eh, you know, there's different cultural words that that create space while you think, and then there's all the little like what is the little tune. It's like, so this whole time I've been going like, hey, in my head, which is a Nirvana song that came out after Kurt had passed. Nice. And then you, but you have all these whimsical ones I've noticed over the years and, and the ding dong, the witch is dead one always <laughs> ding, gets ding me
0: because <laughs> <laughs> no one expects it. I like the ding dong, the witch is dead, get and flying monkeys in general. It's like, it's like anything to do with the Wizard of Oz is, is generally quotable. It is right. It's just like when I pause and I'm trying to think of something, I'm going, oh, okay, what can I do? Ding dong, the witch is dead, the wicked witch is dead. <laughs> it also makes for a reasonable toast if you can't think of anything else. When someone says, and a toast, and you're going around the table and you've had several toasts and you go, ding dong, the witch is dead. Everyone goes, yeah, it's great. We'll toast to it. ding dong, the witch is dead, which I think is, is again, a you know, a reasonable, reasonable option to thank God I woke up this morning and wasn't dead. Or, That's right. Um, uh, we will never be this young again. Which, which my friend Pat has a, a toast in German, which I actually kind of like, although although some people find it a bit grim. But in that case, they've probably just never spent that time hanging out with enough Germans. And uh, and there is me umming again. Uh, and I actually, <laughs> <laughs> I actually do a similar thing when I'm typing. If I if I lose my train of thought, I've got this really bad habit of typing. And killer monkeys rule the earth. Do you, do you actually type that out? I actually type that out and it's, it's kind of, <laughs> of, of like a, a trigger. However, if you're actually in one of those chats with people online, <laughs> you have to realize that they literally see everything you type, even if you're backspacing and so forth. They don't wait till you see send, they see it as you're typing it. So when you type something and then backspace out of it, you know, that's still being apparent to the person who's on the other end of the of the helpline, assuming it is a person and not a robot. So, the, the whole killer monkeys rule the earth thing is, is like <laughs> a little bit distressing for, for those people.
1: <laughs> you know who's not going to be on today's list is the cowardly lion or the tin man for movie characters well dressed. Although, I don't know, do you think that the witch, the wicked witch of the West, in a classic <laughs> throwback to black? Black dress equals witch. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I, I think it's absolutely iconic. Look the the pointy hat, the pointy hat, the pointy shoes, uh, the green skin <laughs> is just wonderful witchery. Again, also supported by a host of flying monkeys. Always really useful.
1: It's really the accessories.
0: <laughs> it, it, it is strong accessorization is like is like you know, vicious winged monkeys uh, are, a, are <laughs> a really good and potent accessory if you're if you're going out is that like next time you're harassing like a goth looking woman who happens to be wearing a pointy hat in a bar, be aware the moment you walk outside you may be attacked by flying monkeys. <laughs> That's a, right. It's a good thought.
1: And perhaps on that note I would like to welcome everybody to the Modern dandies Guide to manliness. I am joined by my uh, always uh, lovely, uh, always entertaining uh, co-host and and life partner, Liam. <laughs> Liam, you and I thought we would talk about well-dressed
0: movie characters. And this is funny because, yes, we should. And before anyone asks, this is actually a topic that uh, Wes and I actually talk about a lot over the years. <laughs> a so, lot. <laughs> Probably too much. <laughs> Definitely too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think for me, it's a great topic because it's, it's familiar to lots of people. And it's not just about how characters dress. That's the great thing about movie characters is you get to see people behaving in a whole context. So as well as their outfit, you're also absorbing their character and you're absorbing the message of the clothes and everything that's done in the movies is done with that real thought for instilling a, a reaction or an impression because, you know, they've got 90 minutes and, and in movie terms, you've actually probably got the first 90 seconds to establish a character and the clothing, the way they behave and the way that they speak is all tied up in that. And that's what, what I think you really get when you when you get a visceral reaction to a character, you're responding to something really quickly. And that's obviously something that as modern dandies, we are trying to instill, which is that that reaction. So that's the analysis anyway.
1: And before we dive in with the fun parts, I was just thinking of, and I wanted to ask you have you seen the Netflix shows under the umbrella Abstract? It's all about different designers. And there's one about costume designers where they follow around Ruth Carter. Oh, man. And she is well known for, of course, doing Black Panther, uh, but also did a lot of Spike Lee's. Uh, first movies, uh, where she did all the costume designs for for that, and I recommend for the listeners if you like clothing the way that we do, mm. check out Ruth Carter on Abstract, which you can find on Netflix, and she really dives in much better than we could probably <laughs> uh, on what you were just saying, Liam, about how it's trying to capture what this character is about, so that before that character even speaks you as an audience member know a little bit about that person are they a good guy are they a bad guy are they rough are they sensitive are they smart are they simple all those kinds of things really come out whether it's a you know a period piece set mm-hmm. in a, a real space or you know it's sci-fi like Black panther and uh, so just really incredible and um if you get a chance
0: listener please check it out that's a great point. I mean, there's there's understanding, there's liking a character and then understanding why you like them. And it makes that point, and this is why I think costume designers are, like the good costume designers are incredibly adept at the psychology of of clothing and, and behaviour. And then the actors themselves in, in how they then take that clothing and make it look natural, make it an inherent part of the character Heath Ledger's Joker, uh, yeah, I w- oh my gosh, yes. You know, Go on. <laughs> his clothing was we, he, not in not in this list, but it should be. Uh, aside from the fact, he's a fucking psycho. But I've been a big fan of Heath Ledger since his very early movie days, so I was I was very very sad that he passed away. However, in his Joker, when he's in when he gets gets put in prison. Every element about his clothing was impeccable. Go back and have a look at the fabrics mm-hmm. in his outfit. It was, it was just sensational. And, and a real contrast to Joaquin Phoenix's really amazing performance in, as his in, interpretation, adaptation of the Joker. But that Heath Ledger one where there is that level of just classy malevolence if there is such a thing. Oh, absolutely. It's really impressive.
1: Well, what I like about that particular suit is that it is a great example to what we've talked about here on before, which is texture and really understanding the textiles for your material, for your suit making, because yeah, it's a purple suit, but it's so much more because of the texture and pattern. If you glance at it, it's a purple suit. If you really look at how the light plays off of it, it is hypnotizing in a way. And then, you know, the goal is that it's a contrast. Like, here is this complete psychopath with meticulous detail in the clothing that he's wearing. And you have to think, he chose to get that suit. Like, he had to go somewhere and have that (laughs) suit made. They talk about in these hero and villain stories. There's always the doctor who's got to pull a bullet out of somebody. And, you know, there's all these like underground services for these heroes and villains <laughs> for these basic things. And you just, who's doing the sartorial design for villains? That's, that's what I want to know. Cause I need a suit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and talking of sartorial design for villains, I mean, that leads us into the first character that you and I wanted to talk about, which is John Wick.
1: Yeah. A hero, villain. I mean, it just, you know, uh, an assassin out for revenge, but absolutely. I think for, for both of us, John Wick, when it comes to well-dressed movie characters, I mean, this is, this is the dandy's dream. It's, uh, it's perhaps lacking in color, uh, you know, very, very kind of New Yorker dead on black for me. What, caught my mind was you know i'm I'm a tall guy you know and and i find that suits can be a bit baggy unless you really go get a good suit and and so just the focus on all of the cut having it fit just right and also as a person who works where i have to work with electronics and i have to actually move in my suit uh the fact that he has a suit designed for him to run around have full arm and leg movement uh is uh
0: very important detail. Really good rule of thumb is that your suit has to be cut to be both comfortable and able to fully practice systema, which is the form of of Russian hand to hand combat that they're using in in John Wick. <laughs> and it makes a point is that you know, being loose, you know, it would catch on things. And it, one has to make the the observation that his accessories game is quite literally on point. See what I did there? Oh. <laughs>
1: Well, so my favorite, and jump in as well, but it's from John Wick 2. He's getting his suit designed. He's going through his weaponry as well. Just that experience. Now, I know you know for some, maybe it's a bit over the top and characterized. Obviously, that's the point. But he's there with um, the sommelier, and it's just playing it out through different dinner courses. But, of course, he's talking about different weaponry, different points in his his plan. But the the clothing that they put together, I mean, let's set aside, you know, just the beautiful weaponry and the pros and cons of, of that discussion, which we'll do some other time, but the, the clothing only and just the witty banter and the dialogue, oh, it just sucks you in, right? You know, just as a person who can appreciate these details.
0: It manages to be ultimately classy as well as super violent. I mean, it's beautifully shot. I think- the second movie is where, like, the scenes in Rome and the scenes at the party and, and the with the characters, the set-piece scenes are just breathtakingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And everyone is, is impeccably dressed, which is, you know, were it so cool to be that the underworld isn't actually ruled by people like John Wick. It's like fat people with too many tattoos and, and really bad choices in hairstylists. <laughs> But yeah, the, the scene where he goes to the tailor and, and has the suit measured up and that black on black on black look, the perfectly fitting shirt with the high collar, with the tie pin, the black tie, and then you know it's a measure of shine and fabric as well that gives it texture. That means it's not just a matte dull black. No, it has character, even though it is just one color. Now, interestingly, can I, or can I throw a little bit of bit of sartorial history in here that somebody Absolutely. out there can can correct me on? One of the reasons that people started to wear black was exactly for that reason. Was that in the late 1700s, and I, I believe the fashion was very much lots of lace and frippery and and colors and pastels, and like men wore like shoes with buckles and hose and and had lots of of like ruffles and stuff. And a certain group of, of dandies decided that what they really wanted to show was the quality of the fabric and the quality of the stitching. And to do that, they removed all of the unnecessary, what they saw as the unnecessary accessories mm-hmm. that they thought polluted the fashion. And they went to show the quality of the craftsmanship of their clothes and to not distract with color, they settled on black. And so it was for a certain group of, uh, of dandies or proto-dandies, Black was oh, chosen okay. to illustrate the quality of the tailoring. I think it's wonderful that in, in John Wick it sort of brings back that element of that as he gets further and further into the hole, like when he he goes in and finds his lockbox and opens it up and puts on the suit that was in his, uh, his spare go box at, yeah, yeah. at the mm-hmm. money changers. He's getting more formal and darker from the starting of the scene to, to as he moves through the, the episodes.
1: It is good character work. And like we said before, it's excellent costume design where we as the audience get to watch him descend further and further into a more focused goal where he is becoming a killer again you know he's taken off his sweats and t-shirt that he's fopping around the house in and you know he's becoming less comfortable and inviting and he's becoming more cold refined as you just pointed out that's great history by the way thank you for sharing that it, because it it makes perfect sense now where it's there's nothing for him to hide behind he is becoming more and more i'm going to say closed off but at the same time obvious and transparent about
0: what he is now set to do. And, and here's one of the things that I really like, which is to your point about being closed off, his suit is literally armor and it's his whole presence and persona is, is he's actually donning armor against the, against all the threats and challenges that he's facing. So it's a wonderful metaphor because all of the suits that we wear today are based on military uniforms. mm mm-hmm. Going way back when, you know, double breasted, single breasted—it doesn't matter which—they were all based on patterns of military uniforms. Collars and ties are designed to keep your head up straight, and so that you look people in the eye. You know, it was the, they literally used to have collars that propped up under your chin, so that you could not drop your eyes from facing the enemy, <laughs> and and we're seeing that in, in many of the John Wick ones even with things like subtle things like uh, you mentioned this just was we were chatting about who we were going to pick to talk about the polo neck no even though the polo neck itself is soft the image is of that rigidity stretching up the neck that's propping his head up to face the enemy so there's a hell of a lot of symbolism that they that they embed into the clothing that they that they choose
1: I think a lot about this with the neck and in here, the the image that we're thinking of, and, and we'll post these alongside on the gram so that you can kind of see the ones we're talking about, but the, the high collar with the tie pin that you mentioned, and then the turtleneck uh, or polo neck, the feeling of it, you know, covering your throat, covering the vulnerable spots of the body without obscuring vision. It does give you that sense of armor and, um, uh, elegantly so. Now, Liam, do you pull off a turtleneck? D- would you go for the high collar, just you know, bringing this back to reality? Is this is this a look that uh, you've played around with before or what are your thoughts about
0: this in real life? Yes. However, it's much easier for slim people like you to pull off a turtleneck than for barrel-chested people like me. And that is that because we end up basically looking like our heads popping out of the top of a condom, and so I do have one. In fact, when I came out to visit you in Brooklyn with my my ripoff of of one of uh, Jeff Goldblum's iconic looks from a couple of years ago, I'd just gone out and I'd hunted around and I got a super lightweight black turtleneck that then hugs closer to my body and it doesn't make me look like I'm sort of like being I'm a black blob with a head attached to it. Oh. Uh, and, and and certainly when I was when I was slimmer because I've I've always had the Large sort of barrelly chest thing, but I had a lot slimmer waist. I did used to wear them then. Talking about late nineties again, simply because it was it was kind of cool. But I had them in sort of like brighter colours. Uh, now I go for darker colours because I, I you know I think a bright colour. If I wore a bright yellow one, for example, people would probably think I was a party balloon. <laughs> so so this is like like womp womp. Just going back to I don't know whether you had a chance to read the, the, um, I finally wrote the um, fit being the foundation of style post on medium. One of the things I write in there, which is I can have a perfectly fitting turtleneck. However, my body is not the right thing to go in a turtleneck. And it could be a fabulously wonderful piece that has the right length and the right fabric. It's not going to look the same as it looks on you.
1: Well, if you're a party balloon, that makes sense because whenever I rub up against you, there's electricity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and and I don't know if this is too much, but this is the whole point of the show. I've always thought of the things around your neck as as a bit fetishized where it kind of has that sense of either A, someone is choking you and and you and that's the goal, that's the look you're trying to produce, is that yes, I am being choked. Or that you're so buttoned up and tight that everything, you know, the buttons go all the way up and, and even exaggerated so, and that it's this thing that you're gonna rip off, you know, like a like a present, you know, like a gift-wrapped present or something. Like just the fact that it's all buttoned up and tight and perfectly put together and the goal is to create that tension of this is perfect i want it destroyed again that might be a little bit too much about me
0: but (laughs) that's just whenever i see (laughs) you remind me of that time when we decided to sit down and watch magic mike
1: yeah i was gonna say that too much to be on this list (laughs) 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 is everyone from magic mike when they're not wearing any clothes uh
0: but and, and yeah i think there is a big element of that which is the yeah, you know, One of the things about me is that is that I had to wear ties a lot. I had to wear ties at school. I had a school uniform. I had to wear ties when I was working. And then in some weird collective action thing in the early 2000s in London, I think I've mentioned this on previous shows, all of the Antipodeans, which is Australians, New Zealanders, South Africans in London, for some reason, we basically all just rebelled and stopped wearing ties. And that was it. It was just too buttoned up and sure, post.com, post, all of that kind of thing, things had eased up, perfectly happy with beautifully tailored suits, perfectly happy with pocket squares, with all of the accessories, lovely shirts, everything fitting properly, but just ties, just one, that constraint of the tie, even with a shirt that fits properly, never quite got back into it.
1: Well, and then, you know, before we go too far off the deep end with uh, talking about ties, I always love the Milano style. You know, it's the tie that's been loosened a little bit. You have the top button undone. That's been more my comfort zone ever since.
0: Let's not go down that rabbit hole. So here's the interesting thing, though. I just realized that every single person that we've picked as we're going through is wearing a tie. So ties still have power. Ties still... Because so many people don't wear ties and they don't wear ties well, and so on. So let, let's let's observe that as we go through, mm-hmm, because
1: mm-hmm.
0: because we should yeah you know, should move on to our talking of ties and suits. Number two on our list is Daniel Craig as James Bond in Casino Royale, and his his outfits there.
1: And for everyone at home doing an eye roll, like oh, you picked a James Bond character. Yeah, we did. It's the fucking point (laughs) of the character to be one of the best dressed men in the room. (laughs) So when we did look at the James Bond options, I'm sure people from every generation are going to have an opinion about this. So please email us at themoderndandy.life and tell us if you think we should have picked you know, maybe Sean Connery or uh, fuck Roger Moore, but (laughs) if you have a different opinion.
0: I think actually Roger Moore is the saint, which is what he... The role that he played before James Bond, he, yeah. he had he had a bit more of an iconic look. And as we were saying, we we're not talking necessarily about the perfectly cut dinner jackets and everything in Casino Real, which is what the Bond character is wearing for most of the time. For me, there's the relaxed look he has when he first goes out to the islands to to track down his lead when he's driving the Ford. When he's driving the Ford before he gets <laughs> Aston
1: Martin, so perfect. Uh, what a great way to bring back that character! I mean, just a quick aside because I love cars. The fact when he's driving, he's got his hands on the wheel, and you're like, "Oh yeah, here comes the Bond car!" And then it's like, "Boop!" It's a Ford, and the whole, everyone <laughs> in the audience at the movie theater was like, "Oh!" So, uh, well played, um, folks. So that was yeah. great. Sorry to interrupt.
0: Please go on. Exactly, and it's like, and it's a Ford Focus. It's like even a little Ford. And he's wearing this light gray summer weight suit with a plain white shirt, button down collar. All the rest of it. And then later on, he takes it off and he's wearing a short sleeve shirt under a button down suit, which is kind of like a massive traditional fashion faux pas. You don't wear short sleeve shirts under, under suits, even in summer. And I just went, oh, great. They're actually playing with the traditional look. And then later on in that, he's wearing like a navy blue shirt over linen trousers and just like the classic uh, tan. Uh, also light sort of cream linen trousers. And they're both just like impeccably good looks. Everything's just cut perfectly. The colors are chosen perfectly. Then we go through the whole thing where he's doing the gambling scene in Montenegro at the Casino Royale. And then right at the end is the three piece immaculate Navy blue pinstripe three piece suit bonus point that he's got a heckler and Koch MP5 SD. I think great accessorization again with a medium blue tie and a light blue shirt, and it is. I remember when it came on screen the first time I saw it. I went, "That look." Everything that I've seen, I've kind of got some of this stuff, and so I'm going to start stocking up on some short sleeve white linen shirts to go under my grey summer weight suits. But that look with the three piece pinstripe, the navy blue three piece pinstripe, the blue on blue on blue, I was just like going. That looks sharp, and his complete nonchalance, which is something that. Uh, when he meets uh, Vespa on the train Vespa Lind on the train mm-hmm. and and she's saying that he wears his you know he wears expensive suits with such disdain and it's that it's beautiful clothes but they are to him almost an afterthought but they're an absolutely perfectly executed afterthought and that's what makes his and I think James Bond in general he never lets the clothes wear him he is always wearing his clothes
1: yeah oh absolutely and I was gonna say when it when he's on the island with his more casual wear, I thought that's a great example of our previous episode about traveling abroad, where it would be ridiculous if he was on the island with a three piece suit and a pocket square and stuffied up, and and it's you know a hundred million degrees out, <laughs> and uh, you could say that he's a dandy and he's having to pull it off and adhere to his British code, but I love the fact that they let this character be in the world that he was at and dress appropriately for that space. So it's just a, it took a character and made it more worldly while keeping along the same kind of decisions that you would expect from that character, which is to be, be an affluent person in this space Mm. and be impeccably dressed, but, but fit the situation and not just, oh, I'm from Britain and this is how we would dress in London, so I'm dressing like that here. So I thought that was really nice.
0: Yeah, and we can't move off this without mentioning the swim trunks.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) Daniel Craig should just be in Magic Mike 3. (laughs) You're going to notice a lot on this show that Liam and I have a huge appreciation for mostly naked men. (laughs) (laughs) When they're doing it right. But yeah, I I remember Daniel Craig walking out of the ocean and it was just like, I'm going swimsuit shopping and uh, physical trainer shopping.
0: (laughs) So I had first started wearing those little, uh, the the short trunks after watching the, was it the talented Mr. Ripley where Matt Damon, Matt Damon. Damon, Matt Damon had worn them. And I just went, I'd never liked the long, I hate things flapping around my. my
1: <laughs> oh, no, You're I just in walked into
0: a waste comment. <laughs> um, so, sorry, listeners, for that one. Um, uh, I, it's, the I the hate cover. shorts. Cover. <laughs> <laughs> I hate shorts flapping around my nether regions. Um uh, and so, so after that one, I went. This is great. So I went out, and at the time, there weren't very many of those those, those shorts around. And I've actually worn them ever since. And one of the things was an article in GQ that came out shortly after the Talented Mr. Ripley, which was like most guys wear these big, baggy, loose, flappy shorts without realizing that for women and or gay men, depending what you're you're interested in attracting, your button legs are actually the most attractive part. And they think, well, if I wear these big flappy things, it'll take away from my gut. In fact, it doesn't. It makes your gut look bigger and more awful by wearing these horrible, loose, flappy swim trunk things. Yeah, yeah. So I was just like, going, okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll give that a whirl. And so I started wearing those kind of, of trunks. So it was great to see James Bond wearing trunks that I'd been at that point probably wearing for whatever, 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're also, A, Daniel Craig is in a beast of a shape at the time. B, you know, you can see why they're so flattering is that you don't have to be Daniel Craig to pull off a pair of those kind of trunks, is that they really do highlight good elements of the male physique. And also, actually, if, even if you have a bit of a gut, like I have, they're still actually surprisingly flattering. A banana hammock, really bad idea. Speedos, <laughs> you need to be in superb, instead so of talking Michael Phelps shape for, for the banana hammock. Or like you, Wes, you can pull off a banana hammock because you're tall and lean and those kind of things. But for for burlier people, particularly if you've got nice legs, i.e. you don't miss leg day in the gym, right? those little shorts and, and the way that Daniel Craig, as you say, wears them when he walks out of the water like a thug. And again, I think that's what I like about Daniel Craig as opposed to some of the more suave and svelte uh, bonds like- um, Oh, he is a gangster. You he know. is a no. gangster.
1: Not an East LA, but, you know, a classic sense of bootlegging, roughing up coppers. Uh, Like, he is a thug.
0: And that's how I was always described in London. A friend of mine said to me, he said, it doesn't matter how nice your suit is. You still just look like a thug in very nice tailoring. It's, again, partly because, you know, I had a, for a lot of the time that I was there, I had a 42, 43-inch chest and a 38-inch waist and got all of my suits cut to minimize my bulk and strength. But the moment I got a couple of drinks into me or someone got feisty, same friend said to me, so "Is like, the problem with you is that with all the way that you dress is that people will pick on you because, you know, I'm tend to be chatty and exuberant. And then they realize that you're nearly as deep as you are broad. And, <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> and, and, and again, I think that's what I like about the day that that character is, is that, um, although Daniel Craig is actually pretty much the same age as I am, he was a character that I could literally see myself wearing and, and did actually have quite a number of the outfits that, that, that he had. And it was really nice to see how he was presenting that on, on screen. And it gave me something to work towards in terms of, Oh, wow. That's a really interesting way to behave because he also exudes humor and confidence throughout that movie, even with the trauma that he goes through. Plus, you know, the torture scene, you know, now the world's going to know (laughs) that you died scratching my balls is still one of the greatest (laughs) lines.
1: (laughs) The James Bond character has so many flaws. And I like that in the Daniel Craig series that they tried to not hide those flaws, but, but have a character that was living with those flaws and simply just moving through. So as you go through the movie series, You see how that trauma plays into him, how it affects him, both good and bad, and doesn't really make a judgment on it, just that these exist. He's not particularly trying to fix those problems. He's just living with them. Uh, Certainly not uh, the same kind of vibe we're talking about here on our show where we're about trying to acknowledge and better. But at least in these characters, you see that they're admitting to them, you know, hey, I have a drinking problem yes i have I have a personality trait that I would much rather shoot my way out of a problem than talk you know but but at the same time, that's the character, and the character dresses to that, and it's just sexy in a way that is destructive
0: and I love the way Arthur Green played Vespa Lind. I also loved M and the repartee and the the chemistry between. M and Bond, I think, is is in that in that first Casino Royale, I think is is tremendously strong. I thought it was good in the in the previous films with Pierce Brosnan. I just think that Dame Judi Dench mm-hmm. just was just allowed to play that role. It's like, how the hell does he know these things? If you enter, utter another syllable, I'll have you killed. <laughs>
1: you know,
0: just things like that. I mean, it, it's actually, I, I think. It's certainly my favorite James Bond film of all time for all of the reasons, the style, the characters, the interplay of the characters. And as you're saying, the whole journey of him emotionally, right from that very start of his second kill being easier than the first, which they establish again in the first 90 seconds.
1: Let's move on so we can get to some of these other fun characters. Yeah. Uh, I think next, uh, more off to hold a bullwhip or a map The whole reason da, why da, da, da,
0: da, I kept
1: looking behind me on an airplane to see if there would be a red <laughs> line tracing through the air. We're talking about Indiana Jones. Uh, and you pointed out off mic as we were going over this list, something that's very important, which is it's not just the adventure outfit. It's the professorial outfit. Outfit when he's teaching class. You want to jump in on that one? Just I mean, that whole tweed jacket, the, the look of the professor.
0: It, it's um I, I made the rather untasteful joke that it's it's whatever professor <laughs> wants to wants to wear in, in, in order to sleep with his co-ed students. Um,
1: and so what we want to adapt that towards is that they don't have to be co-ed. You can sleep with any undergrad student <laughs> of any gender that you choose. Your but, misogyny and abuse of power knows
0: no gender. It's that perfect combination of the tweed suit with the again with with a button down shirt and the it's slightly frumpy, it's slightly baggy. You know he has the gold framed, you know wire rimmed glasses that he he puts on that he doesn't wear when he's adventuring, which you know, yeah apparently it, which he doesn't need when it comes to action. Apparently <laughs> he's he's nearsighted and. You know, he still when he like escapes out his window and things. He he doffs a hat when he's traveling. When he when he gets on the Pan Am cutter to fly to wherever. You see, it's not just that iconic hat, heavy duty boots. I can't remember who makes them. I know, I know that they're that Indiana Jones basically kept the company alive. So good on you, uh, um, Steven Spielberg, for that. It is, and, and the things like his briefcase, his luggage, all of those kind of things are a broader picture, you know, in the second one, question. the third one yeah. where he's like wearing the leather jacket rather than his canvas jacket and things like this. Yeah. So a, a 1940s or 1930s uh, pilots jacket and those kind of things. So it's, it's, it's all just a, a, it's just wonderfully, wonderfully put together. You don't need a bullwhip. I mean, you can go and look at some of the other elements of the, and I know we're going to do an episode on hats. Oh, yeah. the hats, and and of course f- for me the point that one of the things I made in if people have been following our Instagram when I was talking about the dandies traveling is that rather than carrying a backpack, carry a satchel. Oh, absolutely. When people go, oh, it's a man bag or a purse. It's like, oh, no, fuck that. Those are completely different. It's a messenger bag. It, it's it's a satchel. Yeah. yeah. And Indiana Jones carries a satchel. Um, through most of 24, Keith Sutherland has a satchel. Satchels are the real man's backpack and you can see why it, it's convenient. you can sling it behind you you can get you can take it off easily, pack things in it. very different to the Merce or the man bag or those kind of things. Those tend to be much smaller and there's a clear differentiation. As I said my, my gay friends get the difference is that I remember once going on holiday, actually to a wedding with where some of my gay friends were also at this wedding and I had my satchel and they were like, are you wearing a Merce? And I just like gave them the look and they went, no, that's true. It's it's, a satchel. <laughs> it's like you guys wear merces. I have a satchel and uh, there's a, there's a completely different style thing. And it's very manly.
1: Well, yeah, the cut is different. The pockets are different. The, the zippers are different. The straps are different. I mean, it's,
0: it's a manly item. It has massive, the thousands of years of historical precedence and, Oh, quick story. Can I quick aside on, on satchels? Yeah, of course. So when I moved back to to, to, to DC, and uh, one of the things I did was I went out shooting with a friend of mine, Frank, and his son, Will, who's I think uh, 18 or 19 now, but I've known him on an office since he was like 10 or 12. And, uh, and we went clay pigeon shooting. And and I, I'm terrible at clay pigeon shooting, but I really enjoy it mostly because I'm terrible at it. And I took one of my satchels, and it's good. It's got two compartments. So... You know, live shells and dead shells. I was going up on the stands and, and moving through the positions and, and using it, and it came off. And I noticed that that Will didn't have a gun bag, and I said, "Would you like to use mine?" He's like, going, "Oh no, no, no!" He was there with one of his mates. And Frank told me afterwards that uh, that he said, "Hey, Dad, could I get one of those bags like Liam had?" Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so you know, this is this is not a thing that you know. Satchels were actually designed by and large, for hunters and by hunters, going back thousands of years. So you can't get much more manly than that. If someone's calling you the nurse or like teasing you because you want to have a satchel rather than a freaking ugly backpack, tell them to go take a jump. And also, they're probably just envious because they lack the wit or the character to actually carry a satchel. So I, I am very pro satchel.
1: Well, I'm pro. I mean, you've seen my Toomey bag. uh, Before that, I had more of a San Francisco tech version of it that I upgraded to the the nice leather one I have. But I've always been a fan of that. Make sure if you're going to get one, listener, look at the strap because and and how much you're going to put into it. Get a wider strap because it's going to put pressure on that one shoulder. That is the one thing I will comment of the satchel over the backpack. The backpack is better for your back long-term, but-
0: Only if you wear it on both shoulders. Only, and Yeah, you got to strap it <laughs> if you're going to go backpack. Fossil has a really good selection of men's satchels in various fabrics. And and, and I've got, I think, about three of them, uh, as well as messenger bags and things like that. So you, know, you don't have to be look like you're still going to middle school. Uh, to carry a bag is my is my point. That's there. right. Anyway, um, back to back to Indiana Jones and, and just like awesome stuff. Next
1: time on the Modern Dandies Guide to Manliness, who from the wonderful world of cinema will round out our best dressed film characters list? Will they be wearing ties? Will Liam and Wes discover their latent obsession with men in suits carrying automatic weapons? And will they be able to own that dangerous bit of male toxicity? Join us next time for part two of Best Dressed Film Characters.